0: Coming up next on the Holistic Wealth Podcast.
1: The research studies that have looked at like what are the causes of that fatigue in menopausal, perimenopausal women suggest that it's mostly due to sleep disruption, right? So if you're not getting a full night's sleep, you're not going into that deep restorative stage, that stage four and REM sleep, then you're going to wake up even after an eight hour night feeling exhausted and fatigued. And so that's, first and foremost, one of the things that we need to look at. I know that there are approved medications.
0: You're listening to the Holistic Wealth Podcast with host Keisha Blair, author of Holistic Wealth and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. And now, here's your host, Keisha Blair. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Laurie Brato, and she is a professor in the UBC Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and a registered psychologist in Vancouver, Canada. She has been the executive director of the Women's Health Research Institute of BC, located in the BC Women's Hospital. Dr. Brato holds a Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health. She's the author of Better Sex Through Mindfulness, How Women Can Cultivate Desire, and the Better Sex Through Mindfulness workbook. Laurie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And so it's a two-part series, so I just want the audience to know we'll be delving into perimenopause and menopause in this series. And it's such an important topic because when we took a poll by our audience, Laurie, the number one concern of our listeners is health and wellness. Not necessarily money or any other aspect, but health, women's health. So thank you so much for joining us. And I just wanted to just start with because so many women reach perimenopause. They don't know what hit them. It's just like, well, what's happening to my body? I don't know what's going on. They get misdiagnosed sometimes because they don't know how to just pick up those symptoms. Can you just tell us what are some of the signs and symptoms and how women can know they've
1: they're in perimenopause? Yeah, I'm so glad we're having this conversation finally, because as you pointed out, Keisha, a lot of women suffer in silence or they might try and seek medical help and they might be told, oh, you're just anxious or go home and have a glass of wine. So first of all, clarifying some terminology, which is really important. Perimenopause refers to the period of a woman's life where she's still fertile. And by definition, that means she's still having regular periods. She's still releasing eggs. Perimenopause is the period of time that lasts anywhere between one year and 10 years during which she has sporadic periods. So she might have a period for two months and then not have a period for three months and then have a period again and then not have a period again. And what's happening physiologically during the perimenopause is uh, the hormone estrogen, estrogen levels are kind of all over the place. They're going up, they're going down, they're erratic. And it's these fluctuating levels of estrogen that give rise to many of the perimenopausal symptoms that I'll talk about in just a second. So postmenopause, a postmenopausal woman is a woman who has had 12 consistent months, so a full year of no period. That's the definitive test, if you will, for being a postmenopausal woman. You don't need a blood test, you just have to be able to track your periods. And so during the postmenopausal time, those estrogen levels are low and they stay low. So you don't have the fluctuating up and down of estrogen levels. So during the perimenopause when estrogen levels are fl- rapidly fluctuating, the most common symptom that women will report that's distressing is what we call vasomotor symptoms. So this is kind of the classic hot flashes, you're, you know, you're going about your day and suddenly you feel like you're burning up inside and you have to get outside. You have to get a fan on you. When those happen in the middle of the night, they're known as night flushes. And those are really common. They affect about 80% of perimenopausal women. There's lots of other symptoms that women can report during the perimenopause, like vaginal dryness. And so when those estrogen levels are going down, because estrogen is so important for vaginal health, and elasticity, it means that the vaginal walls can start to become drier, thinner, and be prone to pain during sexual activity. Mm-hmm. There can be sleep disruptions, there can be changes in concentration and memory, and of course, mood. So if you're not sleeping, and you're bothered by you know, these awful night sweats and hot flashes, of course, it's going to take a toll on your mood. And so We do see an increased rate of depressive symptoms during the perimenopausal. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I know
0: that so many women, especially during the lead up to this period, also suffer from hormonal imbalances already. And so many women, there's endometriosis, there's adenomyosis, PCOS, you know. And so I know there's so much going on in our bodies as women that it can be a very confusing time. And so I just wanted to go through and I don't know if in your research and, you know, you mentioned estrogen and other hormones. But if we could just elaborate on that part of it for women in terms of what's happening with their bodies and in terms of the hormones there.
1: Yeah. So the really there's several important hormones. So estrogen is one of them. And estrogen is the hormone that when it does decrease, that's contributing the most to a lot of those night sweats and and hot flashes. The other hormone that changes is progesterone. And progesterone and estrogen work together. And progesterone is also really important for the release of eggs from the ovary. And there's also fluctuating levels of progesterone as well. Now, there's some brain hormones that signal To the ovary to produce and release estrogen and progesterone, and those are LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone. Sometimes doctors will assess those two brain hormones as a way of verifying whether a woman is indeed postmenopausal. But as I mentioned earlier, the definitive test is twelve months no period. So there's several hormones that are involved. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about kind of Menopausal hormone therapy, which is the new term. We used to call it hormone replacement therapy, HRT, but we now know that it's not that we're replacing those hormones. We're just giving women a little bit more of it. And so it's typically estrogen with or without progesterone that is given to a woman who is really suffering from those menopausal symptoms. And there's been a lot of research showing the safety and the efficacy of estrogen with or without progesterone and helping women to manage that troublesome time. Not all women struggle with those kinds of menopausal or vasomotor symptoms. I mentioned the vast majority do. And we now know today that menopausal hormone therapy is very, very safe for the vast majority of women. That's great that you brought that
0: up because I remember when Oprah started her menopause series, she spoke about the hormone replacement therapy and basically said it was a lifesaver for her and that she had no problems recommending it to other women cuz we saw the studies yeah. coming out right like in the yeah. 90s and the 2000s about how dangerous it could be so I know so many women still have that fear in them that even if you know they hear oh well it's safe it was just so riveted in us during that period that it's blood clots and yep. cancer breast cancer risks and yep. of course when you're going through perimenopause you already have these breast symptoms yep. like breast tenderness the burning You know, it can be quite off-putting, like it can be concerning sometimes when you don't know. So already, you know, you're having those symptoms and you're wondering, well, am I making this worse? So can you just elaborate just a bit on that in terms of what you've seen in terms of the efficacy and safety of the hormone therapy?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because there was a, a very large study called the Women's Health Initiative or WHI. And they set out in uh, you know the late '90s. That's when the study started to to recruit you know hundreds of thousands of women who were using hormone replacement therapy, estrogen and progesterone, and looking at do they work and what's the impact on health. And the study was prematurely ended because they were concerned about increasing rates of cardiovascular disease and some other health outcomes. And what it created was really an international fear of hormones. So every woman stopped their hormones, every doctor stopped recommending hormones, women were suffering in silence, etc. And in the decades since the WHI study was ended prematurely, those data have been very... Deeply reanalyzed. And one of the things that we know is that the participants, the women in the WHI, are not typical perimenopausal women. They were actually women in their 60s. Wow. So well into the post-menopause. Yes. Not the women who are candidates for for, for, for hormone therapy. That was one thing. Um, and the other thing is the kind of the the dosages given, etc., were really quite different from common dosages. So all of the data have been reanalyzed. And that's really led to the current international guidelines from the North American Menopause Society and other places, which states that for the vast majority of women, there are some exceptions for sure. But for the vast majority of women, menopausal hormone therapy is very, very safe. Right.
0: And I know you mentioned in terms of the dosages that were quite different from now. And it seems like back then it was far higher than what we're reading about that's prescribed right now, which seemed almost to be like micro dosages. That's right. So is there like for women who are listening in who are thinking, okay, what's kind of the dosage where I would be able to just lower these symptoms and provide relief? I don't know if you've seen any standard guidelines around, but like off the top, do you know where about doctors
1: are prescribing now in terms of the safe dosage limit? So, thankfully, you know, I mentioned the North American Menopause Society, which they've just renamed themselves the Menopause Society. They've got excellent, freely available clinical guidelines for managing menopausal symptoms. <laughs> and so, that information is readily available to women, to their doctors. It is really important that women have an individual consultation with their physician to be able to look at things like history of breast cancer. That's definitely yeah. a concern because if a woman has had a history of hormone-sensitive breast cancer, we need to be careful around you know, whether using um, oral estrogen or even through the skin estrogen is safe for her. And maybe that's someone who could be managed with say a vaginal estrogen right so a vaginal cream or pill or ring that is not absorbed into the bloodstream it just acts locally in the vagina to give them some relief of vaginal dryness so yeah so thankfully we do know a lot more there's excellent scientific societies and guidelines and experts in this area who update those guidelines regularly i think you made a point that a lot of women are probably listening into that saying oh so the
0: locally The inserted vaginal method of providing the estrogen needed, since that's not circulated throughout the bloodstream, it's it's very targeted one area. Yeah, versus the one that's applied through the skin. That's right. Would you say then for some women that local application is even more safe than even
1: applying through the skin, the gel through the skin? We need to keep in mind that the vaginal estrogen is not going to help for things like hot flashes and night sweats and other other symptoms. It's really just to uh, restore some of the moisture within the vagina itself. But that's also a really common symptom with perimenopause is vaginal dryness, which can give rise to distress and, you know, sadness and interpersonal issues because of sexual uh, difficulties, etc. But among those women who, you know, an oral estrogen would be contraindicated, in other words, not safe given her history, those local estrogens um, are found to be in the in the large research studies to be very very safe, even among cancer survivors. I really love
0: the segue into the sexual part of the conversation in terms of the impacts on women who are perimenopausal and are noticing these changes in their bodies. There's so much going on, and of course, it has an impact on their sex lives, even. You know, their mindsets around yeah. arousal and just the act itself. So I'm just wondering if you could shed a bit of light in terms of the impact yes, and what women might be going through in terms of their bodies. I mean, we touched on that because the symptoms are quite the
1: same, pretty much. So we've already talked about vasomotor symptoms, which uh, affects, you know, about 80 percent of women. Those are like the, the typical You know, the typical what we think of menopausal symptoms, night night sweats, hot flashes, etc. Changes in attention and memory and concentration are also really, really common. And there's been a lot of research done in animal models showing the important role of estrogen in certain areas of the brain uh, that are important for memory and attention and concentration. And so, again, if you imagine what's happening with peri and postmenopause as there's fluctuating estrogen and then eventually a decline, that's going to directly contribute to women's ability to, say, be in a parking lot and find where she parked or remember certain things or where did I put my purse or, you know, what have you, things like that. All of those things can be related to estrogen's effects on the brain and they're real. It's not that she's, quote, going crazy or anything like that. These are real effects. So that means taking extra precautions and steps to write things down, have sticky notes, have memory aids or mnemonics that can help, help her have less frustration and just kind of accept that, yeah, some of these changes are a, a real biological and physiological part of menopause, not to mention aging because we're throwing aging in there as well. And The brain ages on its own separate from menopause. So that can be really common, in, and in a woman who doesn't expect it, can be really distressing. So she may say she's at work and she's giving a presentation, and she is having word finding difficulties. You know, she's it's a talk that's very familiar and one she's given many times, and suddenly she's struggling finding the words. Again, can be really, really distressing, and also a really common and quote normative part of of menopause. So finding mnemonics and finding other memory aids to ease those times when. Uh, the brain is, you know, acting in a different way because of the new life stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. And As you're talking, I'm thinking about fatigue. Yeah.
0: Because you often hear about how severe the fatigue can be for some women. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could shed a bit of light maybe from your research or what you've heard from other women about just how bad the fatigue can get. Because I know some of us, you know, we read up to educate ourselves. You may feel tired and you're like, is this because of that? I
1: don't know, but I'm just, you know, feeling exhaust. Could that be from just this? The research studies that have looked at, like, what are the causes of that fatigue in menopausal, perimenopausal women suggest that it's mostly due to sleep disruption. Right. So if you're not, if you're not getting a full night's sleep, you're not going into those into that deep restorative stage, that stage four and REM sleep. Then you're going to wake up even after an eight hour night feeling exhausted and fatigued. And so that's first and foremost, one of the things that we need to look at. I know that there are approved medications that target, you know, that target sleep that might be necessary for some women to help them sleep through those hot flashes. But in terms of the fatigue, we need to be making sure that, you know, is this someone who needs to take periodic naps during the day? Is this someone for whom a bit of exercise or daily walks in the middle of the day can actually have, you know, that energy boosting effect? We know exercise in general can be a panacea, can be a really important treatment for a lot of issues and not to mention, you know, there's changes with bone density and health with osteoporosis, with menopause and other changes as well that make exercise even more important and yet, if a woman's fatigued, how can she exercise? Right. So there's yeah, lots of right. different considerations that have to happen here. And hopefully she has a good healthcare provider who listens and who's able to kind of listen to all the different symptoms and put them together in a big picture and make some recommendations about a path forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's amazing. And so,
0: Laurie, this is going to be a two part. The second part, the meat of that discussion which I know most people, a lot of people, will be interested in as well. Which is more kind of the sexual health aspect of it. So, Laurie, again, can you tell the audience where to find you
1: on social media, your website, etc.? You bet. You can follow me on social media at Dr. Laurie Brado. and also my research team at the University of British Columbia has a social media handle, which is UBCSHR. So that stands for University of British Columbia Sexual Health Research and We really use our research social media handles to share the science with the public. So as we're reading research articles, uh, we know that the vast majority of people don't have access to research articles, but really deserve to benefit from that information. So we distill the key findings and use our social media profiles to share the scientific information. And then I have a website as well, if anyone's interested in looking at, you know, my books or other mindfulness recordings, and that's just lauriebrotto.com, my name. Okay, great. Sounds good. Thank you so much again
0: for joining us. It was amazing. My pleasure. Thank you. The Holistic Wealth Podcast with Keisha
1: Blair is brought to you by. Have you joined the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Choose your membership plan at the Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. As a member, you'll get access to free worksheets, advice, coaching, and an intentional design workshop. As you start to live a more holistically wealthy lifestyle, you'll want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth flash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning best-selling Holistic Wealth 36 Life Lessons to help you recover from disruption, find your life purpose, and achieve financial freedom.